today, moving through our study on the tabernacle and uh, feeling the Lord really helping us and uh, confirming uh, His Word with uh, evidence of His own pleasure in, uh, as we look to His work of redemption in the earth. We uh, have completed our introductory remarks and uh, we have uh, uh, already we've become interested in what uh, things are are there before us in the tabernacle but uh, we we looked at just some initial things of introduction we looked under a thought of of condescension uh, which is a big word uh, that means you just uh, lower your Self to uh, an estate lower than your own, and uh, does anybody have any uh, thoughts or can uh, give us some feedback on what we talked about under the topic of condescension about God uh, coming to uh, to humble Himself uh, for us? Okay, excellent. That Jesus humbled himself and took the form of a servant and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Amen. There's the picture of a God that's not up a million miles away waiting uh, for you and I to jump high enough to get to him, but reaches down to us where we are, right in the midst of our lives, uh, uh, to touch us, to redeem us, uh, to dwell with us, to have relationship with us, to reveal himself to us. Good. Any other thoughts on that before we move on? Okay, we looked at uh, a thought of centrality, and there were two things that, uh, that we saw out of that. Or there were a number of things, but two things really important that we looked at under the topic of centrality as it relates to the covenant. You, do you know what these are, Rob? Well, uh, one was that God wasn't meant to be a side attraction or a hobby, but he was just a beautiful thing. Okay, that the, I'm sorry, the tabernacle was, was right in the midst of the camp, right at the very center. Not just a uh, something on the on the plaza, just uh, as part of the religious aspect of life, uh, but God Himself would only dwell as He was the center of the camp, as He was the very center of His people. Then He would dwell, and only then would He dwell and become active in uh, in our affairs. What was the other thought, Mark? Okay that God from when he formed uh, this and when he began to work with his people to reveal himself, uh, his, uh, he wanted their hearts, uh, their minds every day focused uh, on seeing men brought uh, back in relationship with God, seeing men uh, uh, redeemed, men reconciled. Uh, and so he wanted his people uh, to understand that that was central to what they were all about. They weren't just there to be religious. They weren't there just to go through ritual. The reason that, uh, that this whole thing was there was to see men saved, to see men reconciled to God. All right, excellent. Let's uh, look this morning. We want to look at uh, 
the linen fence. And to do that, we want to read Exodus 27, 9 through 17, and we want someone to read that for us in a loud, clear voice. Uh, Woody, if you would. Okay, so what we have is uh, we're, we're uh, talking now. We're moving from the outside in. This is how we'll approach the tabernacle. And you remember that there was an outer uh, part here that uh, is enclosed all the rest. I won't go through the whole the the whole thing but just uh, that here we have the outer fence a linen fence that goes round about here now you remember our heathen he's remember he's up looking down and he sees that uh, here is God that is dwelling in the midst of his people here's a God that is accessible as our brother said last week he's a god that has condescended to come and and take up residence on planet earth and and be among people he's therefore obviously a god who loves people a god who desires to have relationship with people and so this heathen jumps off uh, uh, the rock that he's on. He runs down through the bushes and then climbs over the rocks and, and uh, knocks his way through all the surrounding tents. And then he comes uh, to this tabernacle and immediately he can't get in. Immediately there's a barrier. And it's like, well, what's the deal? I thought to, this was a God of love. I thought he wanted relationship. I thought he came down so he could, uh, so I could know him and he could know me. And, and I come and, and here's this barrier. I can't get in. There's no way to get in. See, God is accessible. God does desire to dwell with man, but there is a barrier. There's a barrier that God wanted these people to see and God uh, in his uh, in his never changing uh, character and his never changing attributes uh, has the same understanding for you and I today now this linen fence we read that it was a hundred cubits by fifty cubits and it was uh, it's uh, was five cubits uh, in uh, height and so this is, uh, you know, we're not sure exactly how much cubits were, but it's, uh, we're talking about maybe 150 feet by 75 feet by eight and a half feet tall. Okay? Now this is made of white linen. It is made of fine twined white linen. And it goes all around except for here, there is a gate. And we will talk about the gate next week. There, the gate is right there. But all around here is a fence of fine twined white linen. Could someone get Song of Solomon 1-5 quickly for us? Someone, uh, Mike Elsis, Song of Solomon 1-5. And so immediately 
there's a barrier. This barrier is a white linen fence that goes all around. There are, on this fence, uh, it is held up by pillars. Now, I, we don't know exactly what the pillars look like, but uh, this will have to do. And a uh, little cap up here, a little hook. And so these go all around. Uh, not quite that close. They go all around. And uh, they surround. There's 20 pillars on this side and 20, 20 here and then 10 on each end here. And these are held up. This, uh, so you've got the white-like sheet and it's held up by these pillars that stick in the ground that hold up and have a have a hook that ha that the thing is uh, held with, and then it is uh, on the outside. It is like a tent peg. It has a cord that goes down into the ground, and in the ground there's another brass pin, a brass tent peg. So if you can get the picture, here you have a fence of white sheet. It's held up by pillars that stick into the ground with hooks on them. The sheet hangs on the hooks, and they are held upright by a cord that comes down and is uh, is pounded into the ground, just like uh, you would in a tent, with a brass pin. Okay, now this is, uh, remember this is white, and let's look at Song of Solomon 1.5. Okay, well, I'm, I'm black like the tents of Kedar. We're talking about uh, there's now a, a contrast that would, would, that would strike the eye of the observer. Here are the people and they are dwelling in tents of black and here is the uh, tabernacle, the tent that God dwells in that is surrounded by a fence of white. And so there is a, there's a contrast there. And there are minds, and before their eyes, there's a difference. There's something that's different between myself and God. Now, let's look at this brass, this pillar a little bit. Now, this pillar here, the Bible doesn't tell us what it's made out of. It just says, put the pillars in, and nowhere does it say what it's made out of. But all uh, commentators, everybody seems to agree that it's made out of this uh, acacia wood. Then down here, this is made of brass. This little uh, 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 socket in the ground is made of brass. And this up here is made of silver. So you've got a, a wooden pillar stuck in a brass socket with a silver cap on the top. Now, I, I should say that these are all, all the pillars are held together by silver fillets. It's a little silver bar that goes across. And so there's the, they're like this all across. And then, of course, the sheet hangs between them 
like that. Okay, cords with brass pins. So there is a barrier. Very simply stated, we're not going to talk about why uh, 20 on one side, 10 on the other, what all the measurements and all that mean. That's for your own study to do sometime. We don't want to get bogged down. But what we do see is that there is a barrier between God and man. Look at some principles. Let's look at some principles. Secondly, this, this was my first point. This is pattern. My second point is principle. Okay, the heathen runs down, he's wanting fellowship with God, he's desperate, he's miserable in his life, he wants to have relationship with God, he wants to know God, he wants to know that, uh, that God has, uh, has accepted him and wants relationship with him, but the moment that he does, uh, he comes to a barrier. And perhaps he walks all around this barrier. He walks all along one side, up the other. He's looking for some way to get in where God is. And everywhere he looks, all there is is this white fence, except for this one and only gate. And he is having to come to grips with what is the difference between me and God? What separates me from God? Well, is it just simply lack of knowledge? Is, is do, what I need to have a relationship with God is just more knowledge? I, I need to go to a, a seminary or I need to read some books about God or I need to uh, have some uh, teaching and, and I need to go to a, a place that will give me religious instruction? Is, is that the separation between me and God? Is it, uh, is it knowledge? Or maybe it's uh, uh, just a, uh, just a d difference of dimension. You know, God is in the spiritual realm, and I'm in a physical realm. And, and is that what separates us? Is, is that the thing that has to be overcome? That somehow I've got to get into another dimension and maybe take some LSD or, or maybe do some meditation in it. If somehow I can transcend this dimension, is that what's separating me from God? Is it simply because God's invisible? Because He's invisible and I can't see Him. And that's what has to be overcome. And this is what separates me from God. See, all of those excuses have been used by men throughout time. That all we need to get to know God is just to transcend our dimension or to just learn more about Him or think more about Him or... Maybe just uh, uh, make him more physical, make, a, make an image that I can look at and, and that will help me relate to God. See, all those things uh, are people trying to get through uh, what they feel the barrier is between themselves and God. But God wanted us to know, wanted these people to know and us to know for all time what the barrier is. There's one barrier that God's concerned about. And it's white linen, and white linen speaks of righteousness. Someone find me Revelation 19.8. Revelation 19.8, Dwayne, Brother Brunier, could you find Leviticus 16.3 and 4. What's our problem? 
Is it an intellectual problem? Is it a physical problem? Is it uh, a problem of, of, uh, uh, of, uh, of dimension or visibility? Is that all we need to take care of? And if we can somehow fit that in, then we'll have relationship with God. No, God wants us to know our problem is a moral problem. What separates us from God is not that He's, uh, that he's invisible and we're visible. That He's in the spiritual realm and we're in the physical realm. That he's, he's got all these mysterious things about him that, that, uh, and we need to figure some of those out and then we can get to know him. That's not what separates us from God. What separates you and I from God is his righteousness and our sin. That we dwell in tents of black and he dwells in, uh, uh, surrounded by righteousness. No question... In this heathen's mind, no question in the Jewish mind, and no question in our mind what the nature of the separation is. It's sin. That's why we can't know God. That's why we can't have relationship with God. Because we are morally impure and morally fall short of the glory of God. Revelation 19.8 The fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So here's the picture of righteousness and linen. Uh, Leviticus 16, 3 and 4. Okay, here's Aaron's clothing. This would be another whole study. Just the clothing that Aaron wears as the priest. And his clothing is to be linen. That he's a picture of, uh, is a picture of Jesus Christ as our high priest eventually, but he's also a picture of, uh, of uh, someone that would minister before the Lord as someone who needs to have a life uh, that is evidence of righteousness. Okay, so our separation is not uh, either, it's not all of these things that man would like to think it is. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all it was was just a, a lack of education or, or just a, a, a little transcending this present dimension and then we just need a little TM or a little LSD or a little uh, uh, CCD. Amen. But the problem is one of righteousness and man always falls short. Is it a problem of, of space? Of, sp <laughs> of space. That somehow God is a million miles away. This is the problem. He's so far away and we can't relate to Him because He's so far away in heaven. Well, no, God is right here. He's everywhere. Your problem, the reason that God feels a million miles away is not because He's a million miles away. He's right there. The reason that He feels so far away, sinner, is because there is such a vast gap between His righteousness and your sin. There's such a tremendous chasm. And that's why you feel far away from God. That's why you feel that God doesn't care. 
That's why you feel that somehow God is, uh, is an unknowing, uncaring uh, entity out there that you can't relate to. It's because of His righteousness and your sin. That's our problem. The tabernacle doesn't want us to uh, have any question in our mind what the problem is. Amen. Okay, let's look at God for a minute. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Someone in this section right here. Uh, Morgan. Uh, someone over here. Randy Foster. Second Chronicles 6.18. And someone way over in this side. Uh, everybody's looking down. Somebody. Uh, no, not today. Okay. Uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Day. Acts 17.27. Okay. Okay, we're talking about about God and about who God is. God, not just uh, the the big granddaddy in the sky, not the the one that he just looks and he just understands and and he doesn't, you know, he knows we're weak and he knows that we've got problems and uh, he just wants to just uh, invite us in just as we are and have fellowship with us and and that's the God. That, you know, he doesn't really care what you believe. He doesn't really care what you do. Just as long as you don't hurt anybody, then God wants relationship with you. Well, that's not the God of the book. Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. Okay, do not I fill heaven and earth. He's not a million miles away. When you're a sinner, he was right there at, at your parties. He's right there uh, at your, watching your sin. He's never been a million miles away. Always been right there. Second Chronicles 6.18. Okay, all the heavens and the heavens of heavens can't contain. We can't even contemplate the vastness of the, of the universe, uh, and yet God can't even fit in the universe. That's His vastness and His infinity. You know, we, we, can't, we can't even figure that out. But God hasn't been a million miles away, friend. Acts 17, 27. Okay, here's, here's Paul preaching the Areopagus preaching on Mars Hill. And he said, you've, you've been uh, reaching out and groping and trying to find God. And he hasn't been far away. He's been right there. The problem is, uh, is how you've tried to get to know him. Is how you've, what you thought the problem was. That what God wanted was a statue. What God wanted was uh, for you to burn some candles. What God wanted was for you to somehow do something and then He'd open Himself and He'd relate to you. But the problem is one of nature, a righteous God and a sinful man that cannot have relationship, cannot have friendship, cannot have communion. When this uh, heathen runs down from the, from the hills and wanting relationship with God, he's faced with the fact that there's a difference and it's not a physical difference. He could pull up that, that thing and walk right through. It's one of righteousness. It's one of, of a moral nature. See, I can be in the same room with a chimpanzee and my wife. And the chimp can be sitting right next to me. And he's closer physically, but I'm closer to my wife, though she may be sitting on the other side of the room. I'm closer to her because we're of like nature. We can relate together. 
the chimp and I are sitting right next to each other are hopefully miles apart uh, <laughs> in our intelligence <laughs> and uh, uh, you know nature and all but it's uh, it's uh, you see the difference it's the, it's the difference in nature that makes us uh, so far from God see there man may say a hundred things about why he about how to get to know God and how you experience God and what God is after and what God is looking for. But the tabernacle says that, that there is one problem and that is a problem of righteousness. The separation, friend, is moral. Okay. In the tabernacle, we saw that... Uh, uh, okay, here's the thing in the midst, middle of the uh, camp, and we saw that the Levites, uh, certain families of the Levites were all around. There was a distance between them, and then out here you have the other people, and we have there a tremendous separation that exists. They weren't just out uh, uh, with uh, putting basketball hoops on this thing and, and uh, uh, you know, putting graffiti on it. And just, you know, this was just a, uh, like a subway station, just a wall somewhere. This was, there, that was to, to let them know there was a separation that existed. The white fence. Before we go on, are there any comments on anything that we've said? Brother Brown? Okay, it's the same truth. There's, you know, that's talking about a sheepfold, and there's, uh, and we'll really get into that next week when we talk about the gate. That there is, right now we're just looking at there is a separation, and next week we'll look at there's only one way in, and that's through the gate, and we'll see what, who that gate symbolizes. But uh, that's that's excellent. We're we're talking about the same principle. Uh, it it could be water is a picture of the Holy Spirit, uh, and that very well could be. But I I, I I haven't particularly looked into that, so I I'd have to qualify my own understanding. Okay, brother. Well, okay. There, again, there's there. God still has another in the tabernacle. There's another whole thing that God dwells in right now. It's it's just the access to that relationship. Then uh, that's that's good, and that's uh, and that we'll bring that up later. Yeah, yeah. We're we're moving from the outside in, and we're gonna we'll be talking about that. Uh, I don't believe so. So we're there. Uh, I'm thinking about right now what the sojourner was able to do, and I, I can't I, I can't relate right now. It it may let's let's move on before before we get totally uh, into this. We can go back and have some other questions. But our brother brought up uh, okay. So here's the righteousness. Okay. Now what is this righteousness? What is The standard that for all time God put in this tabernacle. What's the what is the separation? 
What is the, the, uh, the thing that if, if there's a separation and that separation is righteousness, well, what is the righteousness? Is that the righteousness of, of uh, uh, the golden rule? You know, as long as you do unto others, uh, uh, then, then you meet that level of righteousness? Is it a righteousness of uh, just as long as you don't hurt anybody? Is it the righteousness of the law, of the Ten Commandments? What is the righteousness that is being upheld before us in this place? See, what upholds this righteousness? Well, what upholds the righteousness is this pillar. A pillar that is made out of wood, which is a picture of man, made out of silver, which is a picture of redemption, all the silver in the tabernacle, and we'll look at this when we actually look at the, the tent itself, was made from the redemption money. Every single person had to give a shekel of silver to redeem his soul. And so all the silver is a picture of redemption. And then the bottom brass, which is a picture of judgment. And so, what's holding up this righteousness, the standard that you and I have to compare ourselves with, is a man who was judged for our redemption. The one who is holding up the righteousness is it not the Ten Commandments. It's not the Holy Joe in town that just is Mr. Wonderful Citizen. The one we have to compare ourselves to is the Lord Jesus Christ. The man who experienced judgment so that we could be redeemed. Hit the earth, judged, and lifted up righteousness for our experience. And so, how are you doing? Well, you, you keep the commandments. You're, you don't hurt the next guy. You just, uh, you just do, you know, do unto others before they do unto you. That, that's, your, that's your job. No. How do you compare with Jesus? That'll tell you whether you can have a relationship with God. That'll tell you if you've got the righteousness that it takes to have a relationship with God. How do you compare with Jesus? Does, was there a hand up? Okay, you have both. You've got, <clears throat> you've got prophetic understanding that, that, is, that is there. You're talking there. Uh, there's a process of revelation about the coming of the Messiah. See, we've got all the way in Deuteronomy. We've got, I'm going to send my servant. We've got in Genesis, uh, your, uh, there'll be enmity between thee and the woman and her seed will bruise uh, your head and you'll bruise his heel. All the way through are these pictures 
Now, Genesis uh, 3.15, well, did people know that, uh, did Adam and Eve know that that was Jesus Christ? Well, no, probably not. But that was still uh, an understanding that was given to them to point to the coming of the Lord. And so, for these people, okay, dwelling in uh, whatever it was, uh, 1300 uh, B.C. or whenever the date was, they're they're dealing with something right then that is working in their minds and to work into the minds of every generation to point to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like going back to the to the old dispensation and uh, all the things that that have been made real through Jesus uh, uh, you know going backwards and, and and leaving the reality of Jesus behind and going back to the forms and shapes and all that again that's that's exactly what's happened so they're not without biblical reference it just they've they've they're resting in the wrong dispensation okay and so how the the standard is the standard of Jesus Christ. Acts 17.31, uh, Ken Herman, Romans 2.16, Ron Stewart. Uh, let's look at a number of scriptures here just on Jesus himself. Someone over on this way, Bill, could you find Luke 2.42, I'm sorry, Luke 2.49 and 52. Luke 49, Luke 2.49 and 52. Uh, Luke 15.2, uh, Bob Corsi. Uh, Luke 23, 4, Luke 23, 4, Mark Hamilton, Bill Rowland, uh, 23, 39 through 41, and Vicki, uh, Acts 10, 38. Okay, so he's the standard. He's the standard that all mankind is going to be re- related to. See, one, the, the time will come when everybody will be judged by how they relate to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. How, they, the, how righteousness was personified, righteousness was lived out by Jesus Christ. That's the standard. And how you and I measure up to the standard of Jesus tells us if we've got the righteousness that it takes to have a relationship with God. Okay, Acts 17.31. Okay, he'll judge him by the man that he's raised from the dead. Uh, Romans 2.16. Okay, he's going to judge men by what? By the ten? By the sacrificial law? By uh, do unto others? What's he going to judge men by? He's going to judge men by the man who was judged for our redemption. That's all men. That's these folks back in the Old Testament. They're going to be judged in how their righteousness compared with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay, Jesus demonstrates God's righteousness. Luke 2, 49 and 52. Okay, here's, here's talking about a life lived out of righteousness. First of all, doing your father, his father's business uh, about developing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Not just, not just ten rules, but this is a life lived out in righteousness. Uh, 15.2. Okay, 
man receiveth it. There's a picture of righteousness. Not just the fact that, that you don't steal. But here's, here's a demonstration of a man who has compassion for the sinners, for the lost. Uh, 23.4. Okay, before ungodly, before the heathen, living a life that is unreproachable. 23, 39 through 41. Okay, excellent. Same principle, Acts 10, 38. Going about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. Okay, a righteousness that goes beyond ten commandments. Goes beyond ten rules. Now, thank God for the ten commandments. We're not under the law anymore, but those are that's still God's word and a revelation of, of, of righteousness. But that's not, as our brother asked, that's not what's being held up to us. It's how you keep the ten. What's being held up for us for all time, the church for all time, is how do you compare with Jesus Christ, a man who receives... (coughs) Pardon me. Excuse me. A man who... A man... (coughs) Pardon me. A man who receives sinners, a man that people could look at and say, this guy has done nothing wrong. See, could, can everybody on your job look at you and say, that, hey, this guy has never done anything wrong all the ten years that I, I've worked here. This guy has never done anything wrong in all of his life. See, this is the one who puts the, the kingdom of God first about my father's business. Okay, Jesus' righteousness. Romans 3.23. Brother Bernier. John 1.14. Rod and uh, Jeff Brown. Uh, Matthew 17, 2. 1 Timothy 6, 16. Dennis. And Psalm 104, 2. Psalm 104, 2. Sister Tarwater. Okay. So we're talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, Romans 3, 23. Three twenty three. Okay, John one fourteen. Okay, a glory full of grace and truth, and Matthew seventeen two. Okay. Here's our brother Race's question, his statement here. Here Jesus, when his inner righteousness is revealed, 
Okay, he's, he's walking along but that, and living, but there came a point on the Mount of Transfiguration where the full range of his righteousness that could even be revealed to man was revealed his face as white, uh, as light, his, his, uh, his garments became just sparkling, pure white, and that's the revelation of, that, of the nature of that man that was walking on the earth. Not quite what had happened if you and I just kind of, you know, manifested all that's in us, you know. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, out of Jesus Christ, the emanating of glorious white and pure light. I thought it was, it was interesting in the movie uh, that we saw Jesus, that did you notice that after that happened, his clothes stayed white and, he started, and they were still white came went up with kind of you know dirty clothes and and came down with just uh, sparkling pure white it's a revelation of what his nature is see how do you stand before that how do you stand before when the inner righteousness of, of the son of god was revealed it was it blinded and caused tremendous fear to come upon the disciples how does your righteousness compare with that see that's the issue can you make it into heaven? Well, I don't know. What does it take? What kind of standard is there? Jesus. If you can't, if that is not your experience, then there is a real problem. Brother? Okay, his head and his hairs, white as wool, as white as snow. Excellent. Good. Uh, 1 Timothy 6.16. Okay, in Jesus, the, a light under which no man can approach unto. That's the commandment. Uh, have you kept all the commandments? Yes, I've kept them from my... Whoa. Man, I lost track. Uh, we're going to have to... We're going to have to quit. Pardon me. We'll start church in three minutes. 